voices. We hear them every day. Some voices, like mine, are smooth and comforting. While, on the other hand, the Chad and Cheese podcast is like listening to a Nickelback album. You'd rather stab yourself in the ears with an ice pick. Anyway, you're now listening to Voices, a podcast series from Chad and Cheese that features the most important and influential voices within the recruitment industry. Try not to fuck it up, boys. We hear so much about the birth of companies secondhand, but this is your chance to get it straight from the co-founder's mouth. In this episode, Rakeem Morris, CEO and founder at Hourwork, talks about the startup competition that landed them their seed round, along with a pandemic pivot that forced them to rethink their entire strategy. You'll laugh, you might even cry, but you'll definitely want to hear the final episode after listening to this one. Enjoy. So you're you're so thoughtful and calculating in your moves, yeah. right? You're looking at top 10 lists and things like that. Was it just serendipitous that Rob was in the same place at the same time and you guys both wanted to start this business? Did you have to sort of twist his arm? How, the idea and how that came about. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I uh, I have a calculated person and I think it has a stigma sometimes, but uh, you know, I, I, I certainly plan. Uh, I am a calculating person. I'm proud of it. And I do like to create my own luck in life. And I was hanging around the Harvard Innovation Lab because I knew that it was a good place to find founders because often someone in incubation, their startup doesn't work. And they still have that entrepreneurial vibe and spirit. And so I... I very intentionally hung around the Harvard Innovation Lab to find early employees and co-founders for my business. And I'll also say uh, with great success because the first, my first team, which almost all of them are still here, uh, of three or four people, they worked for free uh, for the company for a year. And then maybe I can't say that because the IRS now, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, uh, they, uh, quit their jobs and decided to do this full time with me. Now I think about it, their stock actually more than enough makes up for it now. Uh, <laughs> and so I can say that. Um, <laughs> uh, they did an entire year, uh, quit their jobs and worked uh, on this company uh, without any compensation, cash compensation that first year. So was this company an idea in your head that, that had been longstanding or did it just pop in Harvard? When did, when did it happen? And then how did you start to carry this through to fruition? I, to me, it sounds like, you know, you had an idea when you were seven, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> he went out and bought the Barons and saw Jeez. the most uh, profitable businesses to start. Yeah, how'd that come about? <laughs> so it was like, like when yeah. you were 14, when mom had this issue, it's like you had this idea pop and then you started kind of like creating the schematic to, uh, to, to success. Hey, when did it, when did it happen? When did it hit you in the face? Uh, I'd say that it was, uh, when I was thinking about starting a business, uh, there was two things I had in mind. First, mm -hmm. how terrible that experience was working at that temp agency. Um, like <laughs> I, uh, that day, the first day I went to this warehouse, um, uh, I didn't have a way to get there. So they told me to get in this car of someone who was <laughs> I later found out has like several like felonies. And so I'm just like going back and forth. It's complete straight to this place. Uh, and then I'm sweating at the end of the day and I, they gave me 20 bucks, uh, at the end of the day. And so I had this experience working with this temp agency. And then I also had the knowledge that 
for most of my uh, wage earning jobs that I had, again, I had 13 in total, over half of them, I had returned back to them at some point later after I initially left them. I was a boomerang employee. So Taco Bell, I, I just kept going. That was a revolving door for me. Uh, Hooligan's the same thing. Pizza and Uno is the same thing. <laughs> You're making me hungry, man. Did, did, you, did, you, did you keep your flair so that you, you went back to Hooligan's? You said, hey, I've got all the flair. We're good to go. Actually, you say that, I definitely kept my uniform. That's <laughs> almost anticipating <laughs> that I would. And actually, now I think about it, this happened. I totally forgot about the story. I had all those uniform tops uh, when I graduated Cornell. <laughs> that was the first time I actually let them go. Um, <laughs> uh, and I donated them. Uh, so I would keep my uniform. <laughs> and so I was always able to walk back in. And uh, and I thought, all right, well, I worked all these jobs. Uh, I can always go back. I had this terrible experience with this tip agency. Um I had this prior training. Why wouldn't I be able to do this at a place like a Taco Bell? Uh, return back there because I got this training from them that I still remember. Uh, these jobs are all rote memorization. If you need to get that top at 2.9 ounces 50 times a day and you do it for a whole year, you're not going to forget what that weight is. That's like you're doing flashcards all of the time uh, at work. And so you don't forget those things. And so I had all this training. I knew I could just do that job again if I were to walk back in. Why not create a platform and system that would enable exactly that? When did you actually whiteboard this idea? Because I, yeah. I think that's when it comes to fruition. When you start to ideate and you get the ink out, to whether it's on a pad or it's on a whiteboard, when did you do that the first time? Uh, great question. So the first time I did that was I was applying to entrepreneur uh, to these um, these startup competitions. So for a whole year, the only thing that I did was, yeah, like, like without building anything was apply to startup competitions. And that is one of the most useful things, surprisingly. It was, uh, it was an excellent, I want to say it will, uh, the outcome of it was completely, uh, it was, I could have anticipated it. Uh, since I was in school, I wasn't able to actually work on it as many hours as I wanted to. <laughs> and so all I was able to do was apply to competitions. <laughs> and so I get all this feedback from all the judges and I would just iterate on it until I had something that was beginning to sell to people. And then that's exactly what happened. Were, were you like Y Combinator and the, like, you, you must know every single incubator in the country. I, I like literally, uh, and this is like without exaggeration, have applied to over 50 accelerators. Uh, and then I'd say over half of those have gotten to a certain step in the, the competition where I'm getting like very valuable feedback from people who are often founders themselves and entrepreneurs in their, in their past lives. And what was Rob's role in this? Did you guys sort of develop a relationship where your strengths were his weaknesses and vice versa? Talk about the evolution of your relationship. Yeah. Rob is a really great writer. Uh, he's a really great writer. Initially, I was writing all these applications myself. And to have a partner like him to come in, rewrite what I had written, uh, and then reapply to some of these competitions uh, with better written let's say the better pitches, better written pitches. Yeah. It certainly helped in the beginning uh, and then getting into uh, the finals of these competitions and uh, getting to the final of these uh, competitions um, was also the reason why I was able to raise that pre-seed round, uh, our very first round. Um, we went to a competition at Rice University at their business school called the Rice Business Plan Competition. Well, that's creative. 
Yeah, right? You know, it was like it's like an acronym. <laughs> Say what it is. I like exactly it. what it is. Yes. Uh, so we uh, we entered this competition. And the, one, of the, one of the fascinating things about this competition is that uh, they don't give you the prize. Uh, it's not like uh, a no-strings-attached $50,000 for, for, for winning the competition. When you win the competition, they give you a convertible note. It's a fascinating way to run a competition. Initially, in the beginning, I felt gypped that it was a convertible note. But then when you realize it, or when I finally, uh, when it happened, I realized that uh, we won second place in this competition was that when we got a term sheet for winning second in the competition, that set off the fundraising process. And one of the best ways to kick off a fundraising process is with a term sheet. And that's exactly what happened out of this competition. And it set us up so well uh, to raise uh, a little bit over a million dollars for our very first round. So a lot of our listeners didn't go to Harvard Business School. Uh, Describe a convertible note for those that don't know. Yes. Uh, So convertible note, the longer form uh, name for a convertible note is a convertible debt note. And if you're thinking about the balance sheet... You know what? You said someone who go to Harvard. I'm going to do it to one who doesn't have uh, even, uh, let's say, a knowledge about um, business. Pretty much an investor gives you a loan. And then by the time that your business looks as if it's going to be something, that's converted into stock for that company. That's pretty much what a convertible debt note is. So you have a little money in the bank. What's your next move? And this is uh, around the time after our first round. What's next? Yeah. Oh yeah. So what's next? So we're going back to August 2018. Well, we began to begin building out uh, toward the vision uh, that I had set for the company. What's the vision? Yes, the vision is a liquid universal workforce. A liquid, liquid yes. universal. I like that. I like fluid better, but liquid is fluid, so that's good. Carry on. Yeah. And so, uh, why is it liquid? Well, liquid. Why is it universal? Liquid refers to the ability for a worker to take a skill that they have and convert it into income in a very quick way. So you think about all the assets that you have, let's say as a company, you have assets that are liquid and assets that aren't liquid. It's the speed at which you're able to convert that into cash. And so the liquid part refers to someone's skills to be able to convert that skill quickly into cash. And that's what the liquid part of this means. Uh, And so what that looks like, and we have many different proof points of this working already with our our platform today, is that someone that has been previously trained at a job, let's say you've been trained as a crew member at a McDonald's, with that skill that you've been trained on, you're able to return to the the McDonald's that hired you instantly uh, through our platform. Uh, And so now you got this skill that you've earned, you're able to make it liquid by converting that into income in the form of a paycheck by returning instantly to your employer uh, without any questions. If the employers get into this, because the the employers are the, I mean, they're they're obviously the the door that you you have to have opened and these are franchises. So if they all agree that, you know, let's say, for instance, from a Taco Bell standpoint, you know, the exact weight of a Mexican pizza, then come on in. Right. And if you have proof to do that. Also, I mean, what about manufacturing, being a CNC operator and being credentialed in one organization? How fluid is this? Is this just for for fast food or is this for more broad scope? How were you thinking of this first? Was it incredibly pointed when you first executed or was it just broad based? Come on, come all. It's uh, it's uh, it was broad based. uh, Come on and come come all. Uh, it's actually exactly the way that my mind works. I'm very much, uh, especially cu- given where I've come from and um, just understanding what I needed to do to get to where I wanted to go. I'm just a visionary type person. Um, I have the, the 
dream bigger beyond my current resources and circumstances. And, you know, in the beginning, thinking about this company and what I wanted it to do, uh, I thought very big, very broadly, uh, and that refers uh, and that relates to the universal aspect of this platform. Uh, so Liquid Universal. Uh, universal refers to those skills. So not only do we want to have all skills on this platform, we also want someone that is in possession of one of these skills to be able to use it, that skill, at any workplace where it's currently practiced. That's, that's hurting cats, though. Right. You've got all these skills. Now you've got a silo of the skills and then you've got to get the employers to agree that said skills are exact, the exact skills so that they can open the door for all of this fluid fluidity to happen. Right. That might have been the concept, but that's not really where you started at first. Right. I mean, you were you started with the janitorial side of that. That's right. Yes. Okay. yes. So janitorial, it's uh we started with janitorial for the reason that is a general skill uh, that someone has. Uh, you know, uh, as long as you can follow directions and do some job shadowing of someone for a very limited amount of time, you'll be able to become fully proficient and competent uh, in that role. Uh, it's a, it's a easier. It, there's a, there's no previous training that you need to have that job. Uh, and so we got started off with what's our first product that we had. Uh, by the way, our product was nearly killed. This product was killed by the pandemic, although we have one legacy, two legacy customers on it. The first product that we had, we allow for managers to request their former employees on demand. And that was with companies that clean commercial buildings. Okay. Uh, around the time of the pandemic, we had about 12 to 15 of these companies on our platform. Okay. How did, how did it work? Did it work well before the pandemic? It did. Uh, and so what we did is we created a... Uh, a pool of workers who are completely unscheduled. Uh -huh. uh, these were uh, people who were employed by that employer still. And at the beginning of the week, what they did is pick up each and every single one of their shifts. The benefits of the employer was that with nearly 2,000 people, to this one employer, this is a case study here, 2,000 people that this employer has cleaning about 300 buildings in all of Los Angeles, they incurred no overtime uh, in the year after we were installed. Whoa! And, and now these were all em employees that were already on the payroll, or were they 1099? Were they W-2? What, what kind of employees were yeah. they? Uh, all W-2 employees. 92% of these employees had first jobs, uh, which is one of the things that we, was important to us. Uh, on this platform uh, that they were using this for supplemental income. So 92% of them have first jobs. What we did is we took the former employee list that we got from this company, called up the, uh, everyone that they gave us, created this list of people who are willing to do uh, work in this way. And we got a really great response uh, from their former employees. Then we got them rehired at that employer. And then we kicked this off. You can find more episodes of Voices, the Chad and Cheese podcast series devoted to stories and opinions of industry leaders by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or just visit chadcheese.com. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes, you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.